can be seated. Would you agree with me in prayer this morning? Father God, we are uh, so grateful for this place and what it represents. Not the church, but the gathering of believers. And Lord, we just ask that you would lead us and guide us here in this moment. We just want to open your word and and see your truth. And Father God, I I pray that every time we do this, it's not only a challenge to us, but Lord, it's an encouragement to us. To know that maybe there's some things that we've not been doing exactly right, but to know that there is great hope in the fact that you have not given up on us. In fact, you died for us because you believe in us. And so, Lord, we just ask that you would lead us and guide us and direct us, Father God. And, and in order for us to hear, we've got to be free of distractions. And so I pray not even just for me, Lord, but for all of us, Lord, that you would give us the ability to focus, that you would give us the ability to hear what you want us to hear don't, don't allow me to say what I want to say, Father God, but, but speak through me today. Use me as your vessel to speak your truth, to speak your love. And Lord, we, we just ask that you would lead and guide and direct. Empty me of me. Fill me with your spirit. Don't allow me to say anything. We love you. We praise you. Thank you for this moment. It is in your holy name that we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Today we are continuing the series we started last week called Harmony. Harmony is two different voices that sing together in unity, kind of like what we're talking about, these two different aspects of our lives that are meant to work together. Believing that God designed these with intention to help us to find balance. Last week we talked about logic and emotion and how dangerous they can be in our lives when we allow them to operate independently. Logic on its own will make us unforgiving and heartless. Emotion by itself can make us timid and erratic. But together they can help us become people of compassion and character. Today we're going to turn our focus to two different ones, and that is faith and works. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul says this, For grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of your works so that no one may boast. But then in James 2, 14, James says this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Maybe on the surface it appears to be a contradiction here in Scripture between Paul and James. Paul is saying, listen, we we are saved by faith alone and not by works. But James is saying that a faith without works cannot save you. Now you're going to have to forgive me for this uh, next illustration. I, I grew up in the peak of entertainment wrestling. And not only did I watch it as a kid, but growing up with two older brothers, I lived it. There were multiple holes that had to be repaired in our home, not because somebody got mad and punched the wall, because somebody got thrown through a wall. Because that's what, that's what happened. I think that's, that's why they call it roughhousing. 
One of my favorite wrestling matches to watch is the tag team match. Because it's so overdramatic. They make it seem like this isn't scripted. One guy is getting beat up and then he like is trying to get back to the corner and he's like wrestling to, to get back there and he's struggling. And then finally, boom, he tags his partner and the partner comes in and the partner's fresh and, and, and now it's a new match. But the interesting thing is, is that the, the match isn't over for the one who tagged out. They don't leave. They don't go backstage. In the same way, we've got to understand that faith is not a tag-out experience. Well, Savior's here. My part's done. No, we honor our partner by staying ringside, ready to keep wrestling. See, when you tag in Jesus, he doesn't win the fight in the traditional way. He sacrifices himself. See, this is what confused the religious people of the time. They thought that their Savior would be a warrior, that, that he would face down the, the Roman Empire with a, with a legion of angels. But instead of conquering life, Jesus came to conquer death. So that Romans reminds us that we may be more than conquerors through him who loved us. Which, i got to be honest, is really awesome, guys, because it doesn't matter how badly we get beat up as tag team partners. If he wins, we do too. See, Scripture's trying to tell us that, that, that faith isn't just a belief, it's a lifestyle. That the two are intertwined and can be seen through the actions of those who believe. I love the way that the message translations communicates James's word because it shows us that it's not a contradiction. This is James 2, 17 and 18. Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good, you take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. <laughs> Hold up, not so fast. You can no more show me your, your, your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, they fit together hand in hand. James isn't trying to, to undersell the value of faith. He isn't necessarily trying to call us out. He's merely trying to inform us that faith and works ought to coexist together. That these two things are not separate, that they go hand in hand. And if they are genuine, they will be in harmony with one another. And we're like, that's great, Pastor Will. <laughs> What's that mean? I'm glad you asked. If you have your outline, you can follow along. This is the first piece. This is what it means. The cross is a monument and a mission. The cross is a monument and a mission. I have arrived at an age where I have to write things down to remember them. I used to get planners because they looked cool and they made me look professional. Now I get them because I can't remember stuff. Well, the purpose of a planner is not to simply remind us, it's to help us keep our schedule. It's not just that there's a reminder that you have a meeting, it's a reminder to actually go to that meeting. What's the purpose of a planner if we say, nah, I don't want to go to that meeting? The planner is worthless if we lack follow-through. 
It's the same way with the cross. The cross isn't just a symbol that's there for us to adore and, and remind us of what Jesus did. It's a reminder to carry our own cross by the way that we live. It's not solely a monument of God's love. It's also a call to follow him, to join his mission, to believe what Paul tells us in Ephesians, that we were created in him, by him, to do good works. Matthew 16, 24 through 25. And Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke 9, 23 says the same thing. Then he said to the crowd, if any, any one of you, if you want to be my follower, you have to give up your own way and take up your cross daily and follow me. It's like, what, 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 does, that, what does that look like in, in, in our context, in my life? What does it mean to take up our cross daily? I think to figure that out, we have to ask an important question. What's the mission? What is the mission of Jesus Christ? Why did Jesus come? What was, what was he trying to accomplish and how do we help him? Jesus left us with a few instructions. He told us, love God, love people. He said, make disciples of all nations. He said, wash people's feet, serve them humbly as he did. And and to welcome the lost into his family, the family of God. But we've got to understand these instructions within the framework of the bigger picture. Otherwise, you, you, you might see your works, that your acts of kindness is, is sometimes being planted in poor soil. To fall for the lie that, that your effort could sometimes be a waste or, or that sometimes your effort has lasting impact. But Jesus isn't asking us to pick up his cross. He's asking us to pick up our own cross. He's not asking for us to be saviors. He's asking us to be like John the Baptist to prepare the way. I want to read to you Isaiah 62, 10. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway. Here it is, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. My son Atlas is, I've started calling him WB, which stands for wrecking ball, (laughs) because he has no concern about his own safety or anybody else's. He goes full speed in everything that he does. Well, for some reason, Steph and I thought it would be a good idea to buy them this little like mini bike. And at first, like he was real timid on the mini bike, but now it's full speed. In fact, he does that thing where he's like going fast and then stops like right in front of the dog or right in front of the door. It's like, <gasps> it's like I'm constantly just fighting a heart attack just watching this kid on this bike. And, and so... Our, our entire family now, the, the, the trick is, is that when he's on the bike, you, like, where are the obstacles at? And you might be an obstacle. And you have to constantly be aware of where he's going. And, and so really what, what our job is, is, is if there's something in the way, we try to move it out before he hits it. Because I've discovered that this dude's not graceful, okay? So we, we spend a lot of time removing these obstacles so that he doesn't get hurt. And this is exactly what this verse is calling us to do. We, we can't save people, guys. 
But we do, however, have the opportunity to help clear the path, to make it easier for people to follow Jesus Christ. And we do that by the way that we live. We do it by the way we love. We, we do it by the way we serve. We do it by the way we apologize. We don't present ourselves as having arrived, but just being someone who's a little bit further down the path. So that those of us that, that are they're behind us, our missteps not, they don't bother them too much because we're pointing their eyes at God, not at us. We are simply further down the path attempting to clear stones to keep other people from tripping. We are not and we never will be the goal. If your goal in life is to be more like Will Hebner, you're going to be disappointed. Okay? Your goal is to be more like Jesus Christ. It's my goal to be an arrow that points in his direction See, Jesus encourages us to care more about the log in our own eye than the speck in our neighbor's. A call to be more concerned about our own journey of faith, the things that trip us up, not imagining that being further down the road it, it somehow elevates us above other people. We are being called to be an example for others by imitating Jesus. But, but here's the good news. This is where our imperfection is actually helpful because our determination to others, it, it speaks volumes. That even in our failure, we, we humbly continue to seek after the heart of God. And our dedication to Jesus becomes evident not in our ability, but through our endurance. That our faithfulness to, to keep trying would inspire the cloud of witnesses around us because struggling with our own faith and works is a powerful testimony to the people around us. It's not about getting it right all the time. It's just about having a heart after God. So our, our, our mission is to aid Jesus by introducing him to others by the way that we live, to help clear the road that leads to a deeper relationship with him. But I want to dive just a little bit deeper into this. Let's make it personal. What does this look like for you? What does it look like for you to pick up your cross daily? You know, for me, it means using my giftedness to teach the Bible. For me, it means helping people discover how to find Jesus in the pages of his word for themselves. For me, it means being a good husband. It means, it means being a good father and, and using my example to bring encouragement to others. For me, it means making sure that who I am in public matches who I am in private, which means staying committed to the word of God. Because li listen, I'll never be perfect, but I hope and pray that I can be free of controversy because if I falter, so does my impact and my influence. These are the things that I think about. This, this is for me personally, but what about you? What is your cross to bear? What are the ways you can follow Jesus into death so that you might find life? What works is your faith calling you to? What works is your faith calling you to? Let's move to the next one. Your faith should fuel your works. Your faith should fuel your works. There's an unspoken notion in church culture that can make you feel shameful about doubt. 
But if you're here this morning and you've wrestled with doubt, it's, it's okay. I have too. Doubt is natural. It's what we do with doubt that defines our faith. Doubt is nothing to be ashamed of. It doesn't dishonor or disappoint God. Doubt is an opportunity to cling to faith, an opportunity to pursue the truth of God. Doubt is only dangerous if you let it stifle your curiosity and passion to discover the truth. This week I was listening to an apologetics-based podcast, which, which just means it's about knowing what you believe and how to share it with others. And someone asked the question, is, is there anything in the Bible that we can prove? And without hesitation, they responded, the resurrection. Out of anything that has ever happened in the history of the world, this is the one thing that has the absolute most evidence that it happened even as a pastor, in that moment, I, I felt like a sudden urgency with my life. Here's more, more confirmation that, that Jesus was, is, and forever will be. So it's time for me to step up my game. It was like in that moment, I got a little bit of a renewed faith that, that made me more ready to serve, more ready to be generous. And this contemplation made me think, what, what role does doubt play in my works? If a renewed faith can excite me, can doubt restrain me? If a renewed faith can get me excited about what I'm doing for God, it, can my doubt restrain my excitement? Everybody loves a, a, a Cinderella story. Those that prevail against Goliath. But for an underdog to win, they have to believe that they can. Because assuming your defeat will only hasten its arrival. So not believing you can will take you out of the game before it even begins. And this is exactly how your doubt can undermine your desire to make a difference. It'll be hard to motivate yourself to do that which you believe is a waste of time or that of which is no direct benefit to you because faith gives us vision. Faith allows us to see the importance of kingdom building. Doubt can diminish your urgency to chase Jesus and practice acts of kindness. That is to say that a lack of faith in Jesus makes us complacent to his mission, to his direction, to his heart. Your works, your, your service to God has to come from a place of belief a place where you trust that your service to God can never be wasted, which is why Jesus tells us everything you do work as unto the Lord, that it might be done in faith because it's believing that God will multiply your faithfulness like a tree that grows in a drought. Believing that when we choose to be faithful, even our doubts, God shows up. In fact, sometimes it's pushing through those doubts that, that gives God opportunity to grow our faith. You've got to understand that doubt is okay, but if we want to see God work in us, we have to have enough faith to be obedient, enough faith to be willing to put God's word to the test and to see for ourselves. But we've got to be careful because at the same time, our work can become a way to earn favor. We must believe enough to work but only work because we believe, because our works can become motivated selfishly in hopes of some reward. Are there any husbands in the room today that have heard this statement before in your life? But I want you to want to do it. 
I, I'm just shocked that there was not any amens on that one. Like, th this is what faith-fueled works looks like. Work that flows out of our relationship with Jesus and not in some hope of compensation. There's a story in Scripture about a guy named Lazarus, but not the Lazarus that you're thinking about. There's a parable about a guy, a rich man and a guy named Lazarus. Lazarus is kind of this despot guy sitting on the side of the road with boils and just no family and just kind of what we perceive as maybe worthless. And then there's this, this rich guy that's got everything he could ever want. He's got a table full of food. In fact, the scraps fall off his table and, and Lazarus can't even get to him before the dogs eat him and the dogs just lick his wounds to make him feel even worse about where he is. But at some point, both of these guys die and Lazarus goes to heaven. The rich guy does not. And the rich guy looks up and sees this guy in heaven. He says, hey, could you just like dip your finger in some water and put it on my tongue just for, for some relief? And he's just like, sorry, you, you, missed, you missed your chance. And, and then this rich guy goes, hey, this is, this is horrible. This torment, this, this, this is garbage. Can Please give me a chance. I beg you, let me go back and warn my brothers. God says, no. Now that this rich man is in eternal torment, he's ready to change, but it's too late. He even begs. He said, let, let me go warn my brothers, but, but his desire is fear-based. It's not about faith. It's about a reward. It's, it's jealousy. He's only wishing that he had done right simply to win the prize. And Jesus tells us in Luke 6, 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. But this is not something we, 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 we take advantage of. It's something we take in faith, trusting God as our provider. It's, it's not some gimmick that we abuse for our own benefit. This is where works alone is so dangerous because it can lead us to a place where we feel owed. A feeling that leads to pride. The pride of thinking that, that God could somehow owe you or be indebted to you. But God's not asking us to scratch his back with a promise that he'll scratch ours in return. He's asking for us to believe in the mission, his plan, his design for life. The reward for works is, isn't favor with God, but it's a reminder of his grace that even in our sin, even in our brokenness, he still believes in us. He still loves us. I want to read Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought you up from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, ratify the eternal covenant with his blood. May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. Here it is. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. This is what we've got to understand. Faith without works isn't palpable. It's dead. And works without faith is driven by selfish ambition. Only together do these two give opportunities for God to produce in us every good thing. I want to read to you also Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? 
Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This is just my opinion. But this is the most sobering verse in the entire Bible. It's scary. How could people who are doing great things for God miss the point? See, Jesus is trying to show us the importance of the relationship over service. He's not a God that wants to come in and use us like a tool. He wants a relationship with us. This idea that, that our service should flow out of that relationship with him. And maybe you're like, well, how? How do we do that? I want to give you a few things. Number one, seek to know him better. If all of this is supposed to be fueled by faith, fueled by a relationship, then, then the one thing that we can do is, is try to get to know him better. How do you get to know him better? You read the 66-book love letter that he left for us, revealing his character, revealing what matters to him. Another piece, listen and apply the word. What good does it do if we come in here and we talk about the word, we read the word, but it doesn't change us. We don't actually attempt to apply anything. The other thing is believe in your potential. Sometimes we don't attempt to try anything because we don't believe it's going to make a difference. Believe in your potential. Believe that what God has placed in you matters. Another one is live intentionally. That just means like look for opportunities. There are opportunities every day in which we can serve and love and do great works through our faith. But sometimes we got to look for them. And if we can't see them, here's the next piece. Pray for opportunities. Maybe even just pray for God to help you see those opportunities. Maybe even pray for the courage to take those opportunities. One of the things that I've been praying a lot later is, God, I, you've, you've laid it on my heart to be more generous. Show me opportunities in which to be generous. The next piece is act past your fear. Guys, a lot of the stuff that we're called to do, it's, it's kind of scary. But I think that if we have enough to be brave enough to, to do it at least once, we'll say, oh, look, this, is, this is not that scary. To see the impact that we can make. Let me give you one more. God doesn't need you he wants you. God doesn't need you. He wants you. I was a youth pastor for, for 12 years, and I got pretty good at scheduling events and making things happen. One year we were headed to camp, and I had the amount of seats perfectly laid out. I knew exactly who was going to be there. I knew where they were going to sit. We had a couple vans. We had room for luggage. We were good to go. Until this kid shows up who had not told me that they were going to show up. Now all of a sudden, I, I don't got room for somebody. And I didn't have the heart to turn this person away. So I just said, you know what? Hop on in. I didn't think about the fact that there was probably multiple better solutions to this. But I just let one of the girls just sit in that, you know, if you've ever been in a 12, 15 passenger van, there's like that space between the driver and the passenger. I let a girl just sit down and 
ride the whole way to camp right there. She didn't mind. She actually said, hey, I'd love to do that. So I was thinking, eh, no big deal. But then I was thinking to myself, as I got a phone call from my boss on the way there, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm in trouble. Uh-oh, that was a really dumb idea because if we get in an accident and she gets hurt or killed, it's on me. It's not on anybody else. It doesn't matter that this girl showed up. I'm the leader. It's on me. I made the final decision. And so I, I had this horrible conversation with my boss. And when I got back, I had to meet with him and the board chair. And I almost was fired. But my boss decided to give me another chance. You know what it communicated to me? The fact that he gave me another chance? That despite my failure, he still believed in me. I know that my story is not unlike yours, not unlike any of our stories, because this is what Scripture tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have failure. We all have missteps. But I want to look at you today and tell you God still believes in you. Despite everything that's happened to you, despite every wrong decision that you've made, do you know that? Do you believe that God, the one who created you, he still believes in you? Have you ever contemplated what the cross means to you personally? Why would the shepherd die for sheep? And that makes sense to me. The only logical answer is that he has an incredible love for you and that he still believes in you. Isaiah 54, 7, 45, 7, sorry. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. It was I who created them. I made them for my glory. Did you know that you were made for God's glory? This is not about what you can do for God. It's not even about what God can do for you. Today, it's about what you can accomplish with him together. He created you. He wants to know you. He wants to work with you. And when you work with him and you're a part of his works, motivated by faith, guess what? God does something incredible. God does something we don't deserve. He shares his glory with us. I'm going to ask Charlie to come back up. And in a moment, we're going to take communion. So if you haven't had a chance to grab a communion cup, you can do that now. This is a thought that ran through my head this week. God doesn't need us for anything. God is self-sufficient. In fact, even if the rocks and trees and birds will cry out if we don't worship him. The world that he created is bent towards worshiping him. He doesn't, he doesn't need us. But here's what's powerful, guys. God wants you. Even though you're broken, he still wants you. Even though you're not perfect, he still wants you. Even though you screwed that thing up, he still wants you. Even though you're only here because of a one-night stand, he still wants you because your parents didn't create you. He did. And he created you for good work. That's what Scripture tells us. 
He wants to see you succeed. He wants to, to see you be a part of that mission. He didn't want to just come in as some, some savior, some white knight and just rescue us out. He wants us to be a part of it. Dude, that, that blows my mind. He wants us to, to have pride, not in, not in what we can do here, but pride in the fact that we are His. He doesn't want to use you. He wants you. I want to close by reading an excerpt from my journal when I was in college. And after I'm done reading this, Charlie's going to sing. And I just want you to hold the elements in your hands and think about what maybe God is trying to say to you today. And after we sing a couple of verses, we'll come back up and we'll take it together. If I do not have a heart for the poor, broken, oppressed, orphaned, and neglected, can I really claim to be a man of faith? Has faith only brought me to the foot of the cross to gaze upon the majesty of a Savior, Jesus Christ, but never follow Him? To never pick up my own cross, to never embrace the path of genuine faith, a faith that's verified by conduct, I must do more than acknowledge the cross. It calls me to walk an uncomfortable road that leads into the arms of a loving father, a faith that calls me to sail among the waves of the storm, knowing that he is with me always, a faith that gives me freedom, a freedom that stimulates and inspires change. If love doesn't stir me to action, if love doesn't bear its own cross, can I truly claim to be free? Grace found me, grace made me, so I owe it to grace to be someone worth dying for. I owe it to grace to live unchained and unstained from this world. I owe it to grace to get my eyes off the cross and put it on my back. Grace has saved me. Now it's my turn to pay it forward.